15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again and welcome to the Space Nuts podcast, episode 263. My name's Andrew Dunkley, your host, and today on the program, a warning from NASA that the moon is approaching a cycle that, uh, when combined with climate change, might see some high tides exceeding flood thresholds, and they're not talking the distant future either. It's pretty soon. Um, And the InSight mission on Mars has revealed clues about Mars quakes and the core of the red planet. They think they've got that figured out, and it's quite astounding. Plus, audience questions. We'll hear from Ollie in South Australia. He wants to know what knocked Uranus flat on its back and where that thing is now. And Matt from Chattanooga uh, is asking questions about that uh, recent uh, Virgin Galactic flight and uh, how they attained uh, zero G and was it a free fall or something to that effect and, you know, uh, the whys and wherefores of the trip. So we will uh, revisit that. As usual, joining me is astronomer at large, Professor Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. It is morning as we record this, so I can say good morning. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Now, I'm in a different location today. Do you love my teal wall? Oh, it looks like what a do you green think screen. Of that? Yeah, it looks like a green yeah. screen. That for, you know, for you getting a good background on TV there. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's yeah, it's just uh, somebody painted the entire office that I work in teal. It's, <laughs> I mean, I, if I sw- turned the camera around and showed you every wall in the place, they'd all be that colour. Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. rather dreadful. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we carry on regardless. Now, uh, Fred, uh, how are you going with um, lockdown and isolation? Yeah, we're still in isolation here, thanks to going to buy a bottle of milk in the wrong shop at the wrong time a week last Saturday. Uh, it turned out that uh, that particular Woolworths was a, 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 a contact point. It turned hot into spot. a hotspot, which means that um, we got pinged by New South Wales Services New South Wales and said, yep, yeah, you're in isolation now, mate. Get tested twice uh, more. In fact, we were, we'd been tested three times altogether, uh, the final ones tomorrow. Uh, but out of lockdown at the weekend, sorry, out of isolation at the weekend. However, we're st- the, the, the Sydney area is still in lockdown and we're just hearing this morning reports of cases of COVID-19 in our local area, which is uh, even nearer than where we were before. So, so we'll be out of isolation with nowhere to go, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunately the case, and uh, you know, yep. my boys are down there as well, and they've been yeah, they are, locked yeah. up for um, quite a while now, and they've got a bit longer to wait. They're, they're very lucky, though, that they can work from home, so they can yeah. uh, at least keep yeah. themselves fairly occupied. But, yeah, uh, well, yeah the, the, this this outbreak is just um, not, not showing any signs of winding back, and that's the tragedy of it. Um, so the- hopefully they'll haul it all in uh, and, and things will get back to normal soon, but at the moment it's uh, it's terrible. Yep. Okay, Fred, let's get down to business. Um, we'll start off with this uh, warning from NASA that the moon is approaching a cycle which, when combined with the climate change issues that the planet is facing, will see high tides exceeding flooding thresholds in some parts of the world. Now they're talking the mid-2030s. This is quite uh, quite astonishing. Uh, yes, that's right. It's, uh, it's so it, it's nothing 
new as far as the the astronomy is concerned. Uh, what we've got is a situation where astronomy and climate change are coming together, um, if I can put it mm. that way. So the moon, um, you know, it goes through various cycles. The most, the one we all know is the monthly cycle. It's a that's why we call it a month, because once a month, the moon goes around in its orbit around the Earth. But the orbit itself uh, undergoes other cycles as well. Uh, and in particular, there is uh, an 18.6-year cycle that uh, is to do with the precession of the moon's orbit. Now, um, I think we've talked about the precession of the Earth's axis before, and that's something yeah. easy to understand. If you think of the Earth as a big spinning top... It's spinning, rotates once every 24 hours, but its axis is also rotating around, just like a spinning tops does, and that's called precession. Uh, in the case of the Earth's axis, it goes around once in 26,000 years, so it's a much longer period phenomenon. But the Earth's, or sorry, the Moon's orbit around the Earth does that too. Um, it's the if you think of the orbit as being in a flat plane, and then imagine a a, a perpendicular to that plane. It's that perpendicular that's pre precessing very slightly uh, around around a pole, a bit like a bit like the Earth's axis does. And that's an 18.6-year cycle. And what it right. does is it changes the moon's orbit, not by much. It's certainly nothing you'd notice with the naked eye, but it changes it enough to affect the moon's influence on the tides on Earth. And so what happens is that sometimes during that 18.6-year cycle, you get high tides being a bit lower and low tides being a bit higher, which means the range is is getting smaller. But at other times, mm. uh, kind of, you know, the other half of the cycle, if I can put it that way, uh, the high tides are higher and the low tides are lower. And that's what NASA scientists, along with scientists in the University of Hawaii, have raised uh, an alert on, not, not to be alarmist, but to make the point that what this has you know its practical effect is that coastal low-lying coastal areas will have more of these things that are sometimes called nuisance floods floods where you've got a high really high tide uh, and it floods the streets uh, of the of the you know the the coastal areas um there will be more of those that's the point that they're making uh, and in particular this is likely to be the case from the mid 2030s for a few years and so what they're saying is not okay. oh you know this is a terrible situation we're all going to die it's not that it's about um it's about uh, you know advising city planners and uh, and local authorities that look after the the flood protection on coastlines and things of that sort all of these people who need to know that we're likely to see more of these events uh, in the in the 2030s uh, uh, what about low-lying places like the Maldives that are only like one or two metres above sea level? What sort of an Im impact would it have on places like that? Yes, exactly. So they're, you know, they're also places that are at risk because uh, you might not get – it won't be dramatically that much higher than it is now, but it'll be more often. Um, uh, you know, it might be – it's probably still a fraction of a metre that we're talking about, the difference, but it will happen more often. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. I uh, mean, we've we've heard of uh, king tides happening. Yeah, uh, and that's fairly the kind regularly. Of thing and, yeah, yeah, right. 
So Sorry, go, maybe yeah. bigger king tides is what we're talking that, about. That's that's exactly it. So uh, technically, a, a king tide. So a spring tide is when the moon and the sun are basically are in the same direction. So you get higher and lower tides. A king tide usually is that combined with meteorological effects. Which uh, you know, if you get a low pressure region, then the the tide comes up higher. Uh, so you, mm. you get these king tides. Um, it's nothing like a tsunami. It's not that kind of thing we're talking about. It's just an, an increase in the tidal range. Uh, what I, I guess concerns me or interests me about this is that um, with with uh, sea level rise, that is a is a process that's going to continue for a very long time. So when we get to the next phase of the of the moon's you know processional uh, period, which will be in the twenty fifties. We're probably going to get even more effects from this. So the 2050s, we're going to see much more of these coastal uh, in, in, intrusions of water. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good warning. It's actually come from ocean scientists as well as uh, astronomers. Uh, this this work, it's been done uh, very careful work. Um, it's easy to find the the reports on it. They've taken the results from many many oceanographic studies and folded them into what we know about the, the effect of tides and the moon's the moon's orbit. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a, a well meant and well-placed warning yes indeed and it looks like their projections go uh, right out to about 2080 so they they've got a pretty good yeah. idea of, of what's going to happen i would imagine that if you're in the you know the 2030s and and one of these um you know super king tides i suppose they'll end up calling them in journalism uh starts to happen at the same time as you get a uh, a massive low pressure system and uh, yeah. you know, a tropical storm of some kind in the same area. I yeah. can imagine what that would do. That's right. That's, that's so the, let's the hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm, mm. All right. Very interesting stuff. And you can actually uh, look up that paper. I think it's available through NASA. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's widely published, so it shouldn't be difficult to find. Uh, by the by, Fred, I used to live in Mackay in North Queensland. Uh -huh. uh, Julie yep. and I moved up there just after we got married. Now, they have king tides. They have playing fields uh, around the uh, some of the beaches there, and quite often they'll go a couple of feet underwater when they have yeah. a big tide. Yeah. And the, um, the, the real uh, interesting thing that they've done in Mackay to try and alleviate some of these tidal surges is that they have uh, built channels in the city that um, when, when you get a big tide comes in, the channels fill up so the land doesn't go under. Uh, we used to live uh, in a house that had these channels behind them and it um, sometimes was, was full to the brim of, of wow. seawater. Wow. And then six hours later it was empty. It was fascinating, yeah. quite fascinating. Be a bit but, scary uh, yeah, as well. So, well that's how some places... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. because it, it moves so fast. When the, when the tide's going out, that water actually goes in a rush. Yeah. And uh, it's a different world up there. I mean, I grew up around the Newcastle area where the tides were pretty mild. Uh, Meagre would be the word, and it'd be the same in Sydney. But yeah. up in Mackay, you could actually walk with the incoming tide. Oh, weird. It was wow. really fascinating. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very slow walking pace, but it came in that fast. So, uh, And I know there are other parts of the world where it actually comes in like a wave. So, yeah, it's it's really – I find that kind of influence of, uh, of things like the moon on, on our waterways here just quite intriguing. I, I do find it amazing. And I've witnessed some pretty amazing um, tides and king tides over the years too. 
You are listening to the Space Nuts podcast with Andrew Dunkley and the good professor, Fred Watson. Roger, you're live. Clear here also. Space Nuts. Thanks to our supporters who uh, put a bit of money in the can every week. We've actually got a physical can on my door. So if you're a Space Nuts follower and you want to put a couple of dollars in there to support us, that's what it's for. Uh, an easier way for those who aren't, you know, five minutes from my place uh, is to possibly uh, be a patron, become a patron. You can do that through our website and there are different platforms where you can become a patron, Patreon, Supercast. Uh, there are other options as well, and you can find out all about it on our website, spacenutspodcast.com. Although we do have a new URL. Apparently, this is a URL, Fred, that um, is, is you know pretty uh, be- becoming very popular at the moment, spacenuts.io. The, that's even easier than all the other stuff, spacenuts.io. Dot io is uh, a new URL you can use to uh, to find us if you if you prefer. I mean the other one still works as well, but spacenuts.io and then just click on the supporter button and that's how you can find out about becoming a patron or a supercaster or anything else. And while you're there, have a look around at our website. It's uh, it's pretty schmick, pretty good. Now, Fred, let's uh, move on to this uh, uh, discovery, I suppose you'd call it, on Mars, the InSight mission, which has been looking into Mars quakes, has made a few uh, discoveries there, but uh, they've also um, made uh, what I, I suppose you'd call a revelation about the core of the red planet. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so you and I um, almost did a running commentary on Insight when they were trying to get that thermometer down into the to the ground. You remember the, the, the using the yeah, they, um, they hit it with a hammer or something. The, yeah, they hit it with a robot arm. That's right to try and get this thermometer into the ground, um, which in the, in in the end failed. So uh, one of the two mm. main missions of Insight didn't really succeed, which was to get a thermometer. I think something like two or three metres below the surface so they could measure the heat flow coming from the interior. I'm sure knowing what NASA engineers are like, they've improvised at some level and there are probably results that will come from that in due course. But what we have now is the results from the other major experiment that InSight carries, which is a seismometer. Um, so it's been measuring Mars quakes. And uh, most of what we know about the inside of the Earth, for example, comes from seismometry. It's the way uh, earthquakes um, shake the not just their location, but the seismic waves are transmitted through the rocks of the Earth and bounce off different layers deep down below the Earth's uh, surface. So that's how we know about the mantle, how we know about the metal core that there is, because you get different reflections uh, from all those things. And the same is true with the Mars quakes. And so InSight has, uh, um, or the, the scientists, the InSight scientists have analysed uh, the seismic signals of, I think it's about 170, uh, I think it's uh, 174 Mars quakes. This is um, actually just one month. So they've got, uh, the, it's quite a, a, you know, it's quite a shaky place. Now these are, quakes that are at much lower levels than the earthquakes that we get on our own planet. But there is enough data in them for them to do this 
great job of working out where the reflections have taken place, what sort of uh, time delays are involved. Um, and it's allowed scientists now to probe the inside of Mars in a way that we could never do before. And the big surprise, mm-hmm. the big surprise is that um, Mars has a metal core that is huge. It's much bigger than was expected. It's got a, a, a radius of 1,830 kilometres. That means it's, you know, 3,660 uh, 3, kilometres in diameter, if I'm doing my addition correctly, um, which is a sizable chunk. It's half the diameter of the planet, basically. It's um, much, much bigger than was expected. Um, and that is is really a surprise um it's 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 what it implies is that the mantle which is the layer above that the layer of softish rock plastic rock uh, is thinner is thinner than was expected um and they now have decided that that mantle is made up of of just one layer of rock, uh, unlike the Earth, which has um, multiple. I think there are basically two layers of 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 the mantle, and I think they're called. Get this, Andrew. I think they're called the upper mantle and the lower mantle. There you go. Um, yes, I one, believe so. I've heard one, that before. Yeah, one's below the other, uh, with the core in yeah. in, in the centre. So. Um, the, uh, the but it looks as though Mars has just got a single, you know, a single uh, uh, layer of mantle. Um, the mm. extraordinary thing about this seismometry is that you can actually work out what kind of materials are, are, are involved here. And so the, the the core itself is molten iron, nickel, and other light elements like sulfur. Uh, which gives it actually a lower density, apparently, and that might be one reason why uh, it's it's bigger than than we thought it was. Because the you can kind of work out some of the internal structure of a planet by having spacecraft in orbit around it. Uh, that helps, uh, and I think. Um, but you've got to make assumptions about what the density of the various regions are. So I think people assume mm. that the the core was more dense than it was, and that would have explained uh, would have led to the idea of a a smaller core if the core is lighter uh, then it's not surprising that it turns out to be larger so uh, yeah it's really uh, it's kind of revolutionized the thinking on uh, the interior of mars um, from uh, from uh, the science uh, that has been done there Uh, one of one of the um, scientists is and i hope i pronounced this correctly katerina milkovich uh, who is at, I beg your pardon, Katerina, uh, a planetary scientist at Curtin University here in Australia, who is involved with the InSight mission. And she's made some uh, some comments on, on the fact that the old ideas, um, well, she says that idea, the old idea is out of the door. These ideas about the thickness of the layers have really major impacts for understanding how processes are happening inside the planet. So we've learned a lot. Mm. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, another surprise is the, the crust. Um, the crust of Mars is actually slightly thinner than was previously estimated. Uh, it's uh, in the region, uh, it varies quite a lot, but between 24 and 72 kilometres are the figures that we're reading. So, yeah, really great stuff uh, that we now have precision studies uh, about the interior of the, you know, of the, of the, 
of the um, planet Mars. Um, it's telling the story about the planet structure that we really didn't know much about in the past. Uh, we had some idea of how thick the crust was and there was a core, but, the, but these findings put a little bit more precision to where the layers are in the interior. That's Katerina again. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's prompting questions in my mind as as you explain it all. Uh, they've they've discovered uh, or detected um, well, you know, hundreds of, of quakes on Mars through the Insight mission already. Uh, what is the cause? We know the planet does yeah. not have tectonics. So yeah. what's causing the quakes? Some of it will be um, uh, meteorites um, that hit the surface and with a thump. Uh, because mm. remember, Mars has got a thinner, much thinner atmosphere than the Earth, so there isn't the same kind of atmospheric breaking of a meteorite coming so in. Things come in hot. They come in hot, yeah, high speed, land on the ground, there's a thud, makes a small crater. We see that happening, actually. We've seen craters being formed almost on Mars by these things, and that sends a seismic signal. Um, but I think the other, I mean, remembering now from you know early, the early days of InSight, one of the things that uh, scientists were saying is that there's probably just uh, fairly minor faults in, the, in the, uh, the, the rock of the landscape, and those faults slip from time to time. Um, a bit like the faults on Earth, but of course the faults on Earth are primarily driven by plate tectonics. Here on Mars, they're just driven by probably long-term cooling of the of the crust, uh, which is yeah. one of the things that we think happens on the Moon as well. Mm. The other question that pops up is uh, that uh, the core of Mars they think is liquid, whereas yeah, the Earth's right. core is a solid. Uh, it, well, the Earth is 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 two two stages. There's a solid core in the middle, two, but yeah. yeah, but the outer layer is, and this is the, the exterior. Yeah, so so the reason why we have that on Earth is that the core of uh, the, the Earth's core is big enough. Um, uh, with when you think of the rest of the planet as well, that the pressure down in the centre is very very high. So even though you've got a high temperature, it's about seven thousand degrees at the centre of the Earth. Uh, that compression by the layers above it is enough to force it to be solid. And so we have this solid iron-nickel core with a liquid iron-nickel core around it. And it's actually the dynamo effect of mm. those two that gives us the magnetic field. Mars may not be like that. It Which might is, just yeah, yeah. Might have, a, have a liquid core. Yeah, so a liquid core on its own just doesn't give them what they need to maintain an atmosphere and, uh, yeah, it's, yes. uh, that may be part of the issue. Indeed. Mm. And my final question from all of this is, uh, could those Mars, some of those Mars quakes be a consequence of something going on with a liquid core or wouldn't they be related at all? Um, yeah, that's a question I, I don't know the answer to. Um, I would guess not because um, I think the quakes, basically to, to get those re uh, readings from the seismometer, you've got to have things that are, reflected around and passed through the rock. Uh, it, there, there may be, um, you know, it's easy to imagine that the boundary between the core and the mantle, which is probably a fairly sloshy boundary, it's not just, you know, at, at one point is, is liquid metal and a metre above it is soft rock. Uh, there will be a, a zone uh, of differentiation. Um, it's easy to imagine that there will be... Uh, basically turbulence in that zone there would be movement which might give rise to mars quakes so i don't know the answer to that um andrew but it's a good question and i will try and find out
Mm. Okay. That would be the goop zone where the, goop the zone, liquid yeah. and the solid, <laughs> the goop zone. I, I think that would be what, what you'd need to call it, yeah. All right, fascinating um, findings. And, um, yeah, the, I, when I read the report, I was, I was uh, almost sort of thinking, no, that can't be right. The, the, the core of Mars being so massive, and yeah. yet it is, and, yeah. and, it's, and it's a liquid core as well. It's, uh, it's nearly half the interior of the planet from what yeah. the report says. Indeed, that's, indeed, that's right. Extraordinary. I mean, there is, a, there is a, another precedent for this, uh, Andrew, in that Mercury also has a much, much larger core than anybody expected. It's, it's huge. Uh, uh, but that's a much smaller planet as well. And um, the thinking with that is that that core um, is would have been the core of a much bigger planet. <clears throat> so it would have had a much thicker mantle around it. But there was a collision in the early history of the solar system that stripped away the mantle and just left the core with this, this thin layer of, of rock around it. So an, another unusual mm. world. Indeed, very much so, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be able to learn something new about Mars because, uh, as you and I have discussed, we've not really known much about what's going on inside and now we've got some answers. So, yeah, it's, I, I find it exciting. It's really, yeah, good, it is. really good. <clears throat> this is uh, the Space Nuts podcast. You're with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Three, two, one. Space Nuts. Thanks for joining us. Andrew Dunkley here with Professor Fred, and we've uh, reached question time. Unlike question time in Congress or Parliament, this is, uh, this is a nice segment. <laughs> and uh, our, our first question, Fred, comes from 13-year-old Ollie in South Australia who's uh, emailed us a question. Hey, Fred and Andrew, my name's Ollie and I'm 13 from South Australia. That's a coincidence because I just said that. <laughs> I have a few questions. I love this bit. I have a few questions for Fred uh, to answer and you if you would like <laughs> uh, on Space Nuts. Question one. Uh, it is believed that the cause of uh, the tilt of Uranus is because of something crashing into it or getting very close. Uh, if this was a rogue planet, where could that planet be now? Could it be on the other side of the galaxy or even in other galaxies? So that's question one. Uh, I think we touched on question two um, fairly recently, but we'll, we'll go over it again. Uh, when we look far into deep, uh, the deep universe, the farthest thing we can see uh, is 13.4 billion light years away, according to Google. Uh, so the light has taken us 13.4 billion years to reach us. Could there be things even further from Earth that we can't see because the light hasn't had time to reach us or could they be too small to see? Could the James Webb Telescope help us with this? Love you, uh, love your podcast, guys. Listen to two episodes every night before I go to bed. Keep up the good work. Gee, thanks, Ollie. That's lovely. Glad you enjoy it. So question one, Fred, uh, what knocked Uranus on its back and is um, you know, spinning on its bum and where is it now? <laughs> So, Andrew, do you want to take this one or shall I? <laughs> um, I, I honestly have no idea. I'm sure we've talked about it before in the deep, yeah, dark past. No. but no, It was just that Ollie... There, something happened. Something hit yeah. it and something... Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and it's instead of spinning like on a, a vertical axis like we have or near vertical, it's like that. It's so it's spinning yeah. like a barrel. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Ollie was right to give us the choice of who should answer the question. You've done a great job there. <laughs> Thank you, Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, let's put a bit more detail on it. <laughs> so, um, please, yeah, Uranus uh, or Uranus dustbin, uh, as you said, it's it's like a barrel. It, its axis is tilted over by ninety eight degrees. So the axis points eight degrees below the plane of its orbit. And that's why, you know, people say it's upside down because its, it's south pole is nearer the top, if I can put it that way. Um, I, I know there's a good book out there about this, Brett. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know a, a, a bloke who wrote a book called Why is Uranus Upside Down? Indeed, that's right, yes. And I've never lived it down. I who that was. <laughs> no, it's a great title, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I say many times, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so, so the thinking is exactly as Ollie says that this is the result of a, a some sort of a collision, or, or maybe a you know a really strong gravitational interaction between our modern day Uranus and something else, and that something else is thought to be to have been a planet. Now, we're talking now about the very early solar system. You know, we're talking uh, perhaps within the first two or 300 million years of the solar system when there was a lot of stuff charging around still. And some planetary scientists think that there was uh, uh, originally an additional planet in our solar system, uh, probably out there in the depths of it where the ice giants Uranus and Neptune are, um, and it may well be that we, we know that planetary orbits migrate backwards and forwards on very, very long timescales, but we believe that that has happened. And in fact, some scientists think even that Neptune and Uranus used to be the other way around, that Neptune was, was closer to the sun. So if there was another planet there, that <clears throat> is, you know, the, probably the, um, the uh, origin of why Uranus is tipped over if there was some kind of gravitational interaction between the two and the most extreme gravitational interaction is a collision. Uh, so what happened to the other planet? Well, Ollie's question is a great one. Um, it, it almost certainly has been ejected from the solar system. Um, we would probably never be able to identify it. There are rogue planets out there that have been discovered, uh, but uh, and and one of the theories for their origin is that they've been knocked out of a, a solar system somewhere. But deciding whether one of the ones that's been found is anything to do with us is a, is a different matter. Um, one mm. of the issues is, uh, so, so Ollie raised the question of whether it was on, you know, on the other side of our galaxy or even in a different galaxy, I think is what he said. Yeah, the other side of the galaxy or even in other galaxies. And the answer to that is almost certainly no. And it comes about because... The scale of the galaxy is so much bigger than the scale of our solar system. When we think of planets, we're always thinking in millions or billions of kilometers, and that is nothing on the scale of a galaxy. Um, and the the uh, analog or the analogy I always draw, and it is it's just so mind blowing, is if you imagine a diagram of our galaxy, a map of the galaxy. Uh, but instead of being on a piece of paper or something, it is the size of the Earth, okay? You've got a map of our galaxy the size of the Earth. On that scale, the separation of the Earth and the Sun is one millimetre. Um, Isn't so that amazing? It, you know, that just tells you. So think of one millimetre as compared with the size of the Earth. 
yeah. that's telling you just how much bigger galaxies are than solar systems. So even if you know 4.6 billion years ago uh, this planet got kicked out of the solar system, it won't be that far away on on the scale of a galaxy. It's still uh, wandering this, around somewhere on our side yeah. of it. Yeah. All right. Here, here comes the curveball. Could it be Planet Nine? Um. Um, who knows? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, Planet Nine is still hypothesized as being this very distant object that is in a curiously elongated orbit. Yes, it's possible. Uh, and that's underlining what I've just said. It's not gone very far. It's still within our solar mm. system. Um, I think um, Planet Nine is proving extremely elusive. We really don't know whether it's there or not. Uh, some scientists have come to the party and said there's no need to theorise that there's a planet nine because uh, it's these elongations of, of the orbits of distant icy asteroids are basically illusory. It's just because we're not seeing all of them. So it's still in the melting pot, that idea, and I'm sure you and I will revisit planet nine at some time in the future. Um whether it's yeah, ruled we out, we haven't mentioned it for a long time, so I thought I'd better. <laughs> but you it's know, in, it came to mind with um, respect to uh, Ollie's question. Yeah, it's still in uh, you know, it's still in the general melting pot of knowledge. Is uh, it's certainly mentioned in my new kids' book, Space Warp. Uh, I've got a bit about Planet Nine, not very much because there wasn't room for much, but it does mention it. So the, the idea is still there. Mm, all right. Very good. Thanks for the question, Ollie, and hopefully we uh, answered it adequately. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And the other, the other, now, part, of Fred, Ollie's, the, the other part of Ollie's question. We, oh, we oh there's part two. Talking. Gosh, yeah. I forgot about that. Sorry, uh, Ollie. Uh, yes, uh, when we look into the deep universe and we see things 13.4 billion light years away, could there be things even further from Earth that we can't see because the light hasn't had time to reach us or is just too small to see? And could the James Webb Telescope help us with this? Yeah, sorry, Ollie. Yes. So just, just very, very briefly, because we've, we've certainly discussed this before. Yes, there are. Yeah. There, there is a, well, in fact, there are multiple ones. There are horizons beyond which we can't see. And the most obvious one is the one that Ollie puts his finger on, that the light has not had time to reach us. So there are things in the distant universe that we that whose light hasn't reached us yet and probably never will uh, because the expansion mm. of the universe is carrying it um, you know, far, uh, faster than, than the light can get to us. Uh, and in that regard, the James Webb Telescope would be no help. Um, we can't penetrate those horizons. So, uh, yep, it's, uh, it's a big universe and we are only seeing what may be a small fraction of it. We really don't know how yeah. much of it we can see. We can only speculate as to what is beyond the known universe or the visible universe. So, yes, there could be a heck of a lot more of it out there that uh, we, we just don't know anything about. We just can't see it. But there you are. Ollie, thank you so much again. Let's move on to our next question from the United States. Hey, this is Matt from Tennessee in the States. I just had a question about the Virgin Atlantic space flight that they just did with Richard Branson. Um, so I was wondering if y'all, maybe y'all could do like a play by play or something of what's going on. Uh, one of the questions I had was how far do they fall when they drop from the plane? seems like that would probably be a pretty good fall. Also, why are they waitlist for three minutes? Is it just because of the arc of the plane? Are they doing arc or do they go straight up and then straight back down? I'm just kind of confused about some of the physics of what's going on in their uh, short trip and thought maybe you guys could explain a little bit. And uh, 
thanks for all the questions you answer. I find it super entertaining. Great. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate hearing from you and lovely to hear your voice with that uh, fabulous accent. Of course, Matt would tell you he doesn't have an accent and we do. Uh, but anyway, um, lovely to hear from you. Yeah, uh, I suppose uh, we've talked about Virgin Atlantic and, and the Blue Origin launch and uh, what they did, but we didn't really talk about cause and effect. So um, maybe we can yeah, analyse that a little bit. Very happy to, yeah. So the um, those two projects, Blue Origins Flights and Virgin Galactic, and we've seen them both in recent weeks, um, they're essentially both doing the same thing, even though the, the mechanism is very different. Um, Virgin Galactic uh, is is basically being uh, carried, you know, you've got a rocket plane carried up by an aircraft to about 16 kilometres high, that's 10 miles. Uh, the, the rocket plane is dropped and I don't think, in answer to the first question there, I don't think it falls very far. It's probably far enough that there's no risk of a collision with its mothership uh, because that will be a terrible thing. Um, I would guess it is in the region of uh, half a kilometre at most um, because you don't want to lose the height. The rocket motor is switched on and then they they immediately overtake the uh, the aircraft because they've you know, the, the rocket's accelerating much more rapidly. Um, it's sloped upwards so that the flight is up, uh, straight up and down. It's not a curved flight. This, this is not the mechanism by which these people are becoming weightless. That's different uh, from the, the Vomit Comet, that aircraft that goes on a parabolic arc. And basically, um, you know, that, that it, it uh, it's what the astronauts have used for training for decades uh, to give you an experience of weightlessness. This is yeah. um, a, a much more... In, in many ways, much easier to understand weightlessness. So, the, so both both Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, you, what you end up with is a rocket going vertically upwards, uh, accelerating very quickly to about one to one and a half kilometers per second. Um, so that's you know three quarters uh, to to one mile per second, um, and then the rocket motor in both cases, the rocket motor cuts out. So what you've got is this capsule in the case of Blue Origin and the space plane in the case of Virgin Galactic heading upwards at high speed under no other force than gravity. So it's slowing down gradually and eventually it reaches the apogee, the highest point, and starts falling again. Uh, And then um, when you get much nearer the ground, uh, you, the two become different again. Blue Origin slows slows its um, capsules down with parachutes. Um, Virgin Galactic folds the plane in half that acts as aero braking, and and it lands like a glider. But the important bit, the important idea, is that they're being shot upwards, uh, and then all the forces stop. So you're you're in free fall, <clears throat> and that's when you become weightless for about three to four minutes in both cases. And the best way to illustrate mm. this, Andrew, and it's something I used to do a long time ago, is if you jump on a trampoline. So when you're jumping on a trampoline, uh, the, 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 the mat that pushes you up is the equivalent of the rocket firing. And then when your feet, <clears throat> when your feet leave the mat and you're in the air, you're in the same weightless state as these guys are in the space plane or the capsule. You're actually weightless until your feet touch the mat again because you're in free fall. It's the same thing. You're going up and coming down. In fact, you in, in both cases, what 
what is really the case is in you're, you're in a really elongated orbit around the centre of the Earth. It's, it's so elongated, it's just a straight line. It's going up and down. Um, and I, as I always mm. tell people, if you feel like getting on a trampoline, um, put a bunch of coins in your hand and you'll notice that when you're off the mat, when you're jumping, uh, those coins are weightless. They'll float off your hand. You're, you're experiencing yeah. exactly oh, the yes, same weightlessness yes. as actually, you do in space. I've actually done that, yeah. 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 Um, and, of course, uh, you can now experience what they do on Virgin, Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin with a trampoline for a couple of hundred bucks versus a couple of hundred thousand. <laughs> so just bear that in mind. Yeah. I think that's an important detail. But yeah. what you're basically telling, Matt, Fred, is that uh, both of these vehicles, these modern-day vehicles, are going with vomit comet technology versus <laughs> actually getting in versus actually getting into space where they would be weightless. So that's the difference. Uh, no, they're not. It's not. The vomit oh. comet technology is different. Um, it, that relies on, on an use- aircraft that is powered. Um, so so right. they're using trampoline technology to give them exactly the same experience as if they were in orbit. It's the same thing in orbit. Yeah, right. it's, um, it, it's so great my stuff. First, you know, my, I, my first comment was right. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I shouldn't have tried to be. I shouldn't have tried to be too clever. But there you go, Matt. Uh, you do have your answer. That's the main thing. <laughs> Eventually. Okay. Uh, Thank you to Matt. Thank you to Ollie. And if you have a question for us, don't forget to visit our website on uh, whatever URL you choose, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io. They all work. And click on the AMA link. And from there, you can upload uh, your question via text or audio if you've got a a device with, you know, one one of these. That's a microphone. Uh, you can, um, you know, most smart devices have them these days, and a lot of people have them built into their computers. So you can send us an audio question. Don't forget to tell us who you are and where you're from. And that bell earlier was someone at the front door of my office. So that's going to happen from time to time. And if they're impatient, it'll happen a lot. <laughs> uh, that brings us to the end of the program for another week. Fred, thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Yeah, great stuff. It's always good to chew over these things. It's great fun. Thanks, Andrew. My great pleasure. Um, Our good friend Fred Watson, astronomer at large, will be back again next week. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.